the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you joining the conversation. This is the show where we do our very best every single episode to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. I am your host. And today we are talking about food. Uh, but not just food. We're talking about the process of producing food, growing food, uh, what we should eat, why we should eat it, and how our choices impact our view of the world. How have the globalist ideals impacted farming and what we eat? We're going to talk about this and more with today's guest, Raw Egg Nationalist. Honored to have on as my guest today, the Raw Egg Nationalist. And uh, if you know him, if you're familiar with him, you are familiar with him through social media. Perhaps you have read one of his many books, but uh, really happy to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to this conversation. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Let's uh, let's start, if we can, with uh, your story, kind of your background um, you have a curious background that would lead you to this place. So maybe you can give us some of that. I would love to start there and then and move into a couple of very specific areas. Of course. Well, um, I mean, there are things I can and things I can't say about myself because it's, uh, it's important for me to maintain my an- anonymity like uh, uh, many of my uh, fellow Twitter anons. But um, yeah. uh, it was pure chance, really, that I came to... Uh, that I came to Twitter and started tweeting. I didn't really have a plan. Uh, I just uh, I started following Bronze Age Pervert, who many some of the reader, uh, mm. some of the listeners may know or may not know. And um, uh, I started to hear about people knocking back raw eggs. So I didn't actually start mm-hmm. raw egg nationalism, but it was a hashtag that was kind of going around. So I got behind that, and um, uh, things just <laughs> things just really started to take off once right. I started tweeting. Uh, I released a cookbook, the Raw Egg Nationalist cookbook, which initially I published myself uh, through Amazon KDP, and um, uh, also put it up for free download. And you know, like thirty or forty thousand people downloaded it. Uh, the sales really started to take off of the paperback on Amazon, um, uh, and my account really has just grown from there. Um, yeah, people have really got behind the raw egg, uh, the raw egg slonking, and uh, the. <laughs> As a not only as an as an aesthetic um, an aesthetic practice, but also a political one too, resisting the globalists and their uh, plans for us all to eat uh, bugs and soy slop. Right. What um, when you ma- you maintain your anonymity, and I understand that, and particularly in a in a world where uh, cancel culture is the culture that we're living in. Um, what was your decision to do that? Was that just, I, I want to be able to speak freely and not have blowback or repercussions, or was it deeper than that? Yeah, it really it really was a case that uh, I just didn't, uh, I didn't think that I'd be able to say the things I want to say without, yeah. um, without repercussion, which is, which is a sad, uh, sad indictment of the, 
of the current situation because really I'm just trying to trying to tell people to get healthy, to take responsibility for their lives and um, be the best people they can be. That's the basic yeah. message. So let's uh, let's start with this then. Why raw eggs? I think that's the um, probably the big question we need to start with from there because yeah. you pivot that into a, a view of globalism and even the Great Reset and so many other things. But why raw eggs? Let's start with that. Well, raw, raw eggs are the um, are, are one of the great superfoods. They're one of nature's great superfoods, and it's a uh, it's a it's a a sad indictment of of the current state of nutrition and and scientific advice about nutrition that people are discouraged from eating eggs mm. because uh, they're told well it's basically the cholesterol in eggs that uh, that is right. supposedly what's so bad about them you know you eat cholesterol you get heart disease you die right. that's been the right. message for the past that's <laughs> right the, that's the, the basic message. message yeah that is the basic message um <laughs> That really developed uh, after the Second World War. So we're talking about the last sort of fifty to seventy years um, uh, that that message sort of um, arose and then became dominant. Um, but the thing is that actually raw eggs, uh, eating large quantities of raw eggs, used to be something that all of the Golden Age bodybuilders did. And mm. my avatar on Twitter is Vince Gironda, who was a maverick. 50s and 60s bodybuilder who advocated yeah. the consumption of large quantities up to 36 a day of wow. raw eggs as an wow. alternative to doing a steroid cycle because he was a he was a natural bodybuilder he didn't wow. advocate um the use of steroids which were just starting to become popular in bodybuilding in the 50s and 60s um and uh he his his argument was that it it's not necessarily the protein in the eggs that is doing doing all of the work. It's actually the cholesterol. It's the maligned cholesterol, you know, this this terrible substance that we must all avoid yeah. that is actually actually um mimicking the anabolic effects of a steroid. Uh and the interesting thing is that now we have all sorts of scientific research that actually shows that that is true. There are scientific studies that I've cited in my books and talked about on Twitter that show that actually there's a closer correlation between consumption of cholesterol and muscle gain than there is mm. between consumption of protein and muscle gain there's a wow. linear response uh or a linear uh, dose response is what they call it between cholesterol and muscle gain the more you the more you consume the more muscle you put on basically right. um so raw eggs have kind of become this this sort of um rallying point almost for people who want to reject the terrible terrible nutritional advice that we've been fed for the last 50 mm. to 70 years that really has that really has 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 sickened and weakened millions and tens of millions hundreds of millions of people in the developed world um uh really all for the all for uh corporate profit corporate gain right um so we're trying to get away trying to get away from trying to get away from that sort of poisoned nutritional advice and get back to real whole foods that aren't in the control of of corporate interests that can't be patented um uh to restore the health of individuals so we can restore the health of the nation that's the yeah. that's the political connection do you are you encouraged by the movement there seems to be a big movement toward whole foods it's funny because back in the 60s we were told that sugar was good fat was mm. bad we've we've since understood that that 
you know, was entirely wrong. That was manipulation, uh, as you mentioned, is corporate manipulation of uh, of people and created a very unhealthy generation. There seems to be this this move or this swing to Whole Foods. Is that a positive thing? Uh, I, I ask it for this reason. It sounds like it would be. However, um, a lot of the move toward Whole Foods is not toward eggs and meats mm-hmm. and naturally occurring proteins. It's towards you know the vegetables and uh, pushing away things like uh, like eggs, like meat, like other sustainable sources mm. of protein. How do you look at that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I do uh, uh, eating eating a, a whole food diet of any sort. I think is is better than eating uh, corporate sort of um, slop diet right. of of processed sure. foods. But uh, yes, I mean, ultimately, the foods that make us the foods that allow us to fulfill our physical potential as human beings must be nutrient-dense animal foods. Mm, Absolutely yeah. must be. And I, I draw a lot on the work of a very, very famous dentist called Weston Price, who you may have heard of. Mm. He wrote a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration in the mid-1930s. He was a dentist in Cleveland, and around about the time when Basically, people in the U.S. were making a transition from whole food diets to diets that were primarily composed of industrially produced, especially grain products. And he noticed basically that especially the children were suffering all sorts of terrible, terrible developmental deformities in their jaws, Uh, you know, narrow, crowded teeth, terrible Mm. cavities, the uh, dental arches, which is the top of the mouth, was improperly formed. They had very narrow cheeks, narrow nasal passages. And this, um, as as well as marring the way that they looked, then you have to understand that dentition actually is an index of general health. So if you have poor dentition, if you have cavities, crowded teeth, narrow dental arches, etc., you're going to be unhealthy, full stop. Yeah. Yeah. So he was very struck by this, what he was seeing, because it was it was, you know, child after child coming into his surgery. He eventually he, he sort of figured out, well, it's got to be something that they're eating. Or it's got to be what they're eating. So he decided to go on this sort of mad trip around the world looking for traditional societies who mm. were eating their traditional diets or whole food diets and to see if he could find any traditional groups who had what he would cons- what he considered to be perfect health and then to find out what they were eating and so he traveled the length and breadth of the world north america Aus- Aus- australia um uh africa even to europe even to to rural parts or remote parts of europe um the highlands of scotland alpine switzerland mm. and he found about 14 different peoples that he thought displayed perfect health and although their diets varied because of course you know they're living in different parts of the world they're different right. different things sure. to eat nevertheless all of their diets were principally based on nutrient dense animal foods so mm. organs fatty cuts of meat eggs uh butter stuff like right. that um with some plant foods but but nevertheless it was very very clear to him that actually the more plant foods you ate uh, the less healthy you were likely to be, especially if they were processed um, yeah. plant foods. So, so I mean, I, I, I yes, I, I'm unequivocally of the opinion that it has to be nutrient dense 
animal whole foods that we prioritize i'm not saying you shouldn't eat vegetables or fruit I'm, of course I, i'm not i'm not an advocate of carnivore for instance although it does seem to help mm. some people in some situations especially if they have autoimmune problems uh but i do, yes i do think that you have you have to prioritize these nutrient-dense animal foods that our ancestors prioritized and they prioritize them for a reason Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. It's uh, such an interesting topic the the topic of nutrition um i i am fully a believer that every person needs to figure out what works best with their biology with the the activities mm-hmm. that they're involved in with the things that they do um and they need to figure that out and whatever works for them they need to do i am fully in support of that but when we start talking about people who have philosophical opinions about food mm-hmm. it's really interesting how people divide into kind of left and right camps and mm-hmm. It's something that I've never really understood. It's it's clear. You can see it. I mean, we make fun of people who go to Whole Foods, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. because of we, we just assume, right, if you shop at Whole Foods, you're, you're probably also voted for Joe Biden here in the United sure. States or whatever, uh, yeah. which is a broad generalization. Why is it, though, that generally speaking, people do divide into kind of these left and right camps as it relates to mm-hmm. uh, food? And, I, and again, I'm talking philosophically, not, yeah. you know, because this works best for me, mm-hmm. but people who are against meat or on the mm. other side people who are against vegetarians and vegans mm. why does it divide along those political lines i mean that's that's a very very interesting question and i think it gets it gets to the heart actually of a lot of much broader changes that have taken place over the course of the 20th century in political movements i mean it's it's interesting now that the left for instance uh, almost invariably comes down on the side of corporate interests. Mm. That's something that's something yeah. that's something that's very markedly happened, I think, since Occupy Wall Street. I think Occupy Wall Street and the subversion 
of Occupy Wall Street, which is a, a, a topic in itself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in, in 2010, people were marching against Merrill Lynch and against the big banks, Goldman Sachs. Mm. Um, they were the 1%. They were the people who should be, you know, who should be um, expropriated, whatever you want to call it. And then yep. 10 years later, all the leftists are marching in gay pride parades with right. the backing of Merrill Lynch and Goldman Sachs. Sure, There's sure. something very interesting has happened to, to, to make leftism almost like a, well, you could, you could say almost a, a, a play piece or a pawn of uh, corporate interests. I mean, a lot of people on the right today actually are saying things that hippies used to say. I mean, I, I say things that sound pretty hippy-dippy sometimes, and there right, are other people right. in the sphere who say even hippier-dippier things than I do. Um, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, a very, it's very, very interesting how the, how the cookie has crumbled and how we've ended up with it being right-wing, for instance, to want to eat meat, it being right-wing... Right for instance. And, I mean, you, you see tweets about this all the time. There's a new book by George Monbiot, which is out, called uh, Regenesis, and uh, it's basically arguing the opposite of what my new book is arguing. He's basically arguing for the Great Reset vision of, of uh, sort of global plant-based diet and where we give up uh, all forms of animal agriculture. But somebody right. was, was... There was a, a, a comment that somebody made on a post about the book saying that basically making the equation between eating meat and being a fascist and and that is what right. people are doing right. now um right. i d i don't think so as as you know i was saying about the sort of hippy dippy aspect i don't think necessarily that there's any reason why uh it should be a right issue for instance to eat meat but that just seems sure. to be that just sure. seems to be where we've ended up now for various historical yeah. reasons i don't think it's you know, I mean, if if you say compared Soviet propaganda about fitness from the well, for, from any time in the Soviet Union, you would see that actually the Soviet Union championed the kind of physical ideals actually that a lot of a lot mm. of us champion, right? On, uh, right. Us, uh, we right wing bodybuilders, um, right. But something has happened. Something has happened to leftism, I think, to make it to make it. Um, a kind of slave to this new agenda to rid the world of of meat eating. When you talk about the Great Reset, um, I've heard you describe that one of the goals of the Great Reset is, and, and you do it much better than I can re-say, re-say yeah. what you've said, but it's to make us weak, to make us dependent, mm. to um, keep us kind of in our cages or in our mm. bubbles. Um, how, how does that play into this view of you know food and nutrition? Mm. Well, I, it's the the thing is, of course, the the, the globalists who are advocating um, a global plant based diet, for instance, they they don't say that it's to make you weak. Of course, you know they're never right, sure. they're never going to say that. They say that it's they use all of these rigged studies that say that you know a plant based diet is more healthy than a right, than an sure. animal based diet and all that kind of stuff. They have all this bad science on their side, and and they also happen to have the sort of uh, I would say the moral high ground in public discourse as well. So, mm. you know, they, they are believed as, or they believe to be benevolent and uh, to have right, our best right. interests at heart. <laughs> right. um, but you only need to look at, you only need to examine the evidence for what they actually want to do in, in, a, in a more dispassionate light to see the effect, for instance, of um, 
consuming a plant-based diet without any animal products to see that actually the effect is likely to be one of of mass malnutrition mm. i mean one of the one of the things that i talk about in the new book is is the original neolithic revolution which took place in the near east 10 to 12,000 years ago that was the uh, the creation of farming as we know it the creation of fixed field farming with grains um and I look at that process in detail and the, the actual physical effects, the social effects of that, because I think that in many ways it is a. there are all sorts of parallels with what would happen if the world were to go, if all 10 billion people, you know, because that's, a, that's the population prediction for 2050, if all 10 billion people in 2050 were eating a plant-based diet, um, I think that there would be widespread think that there'd be widespread um, malnutrition i think that people would probably be shorter because that is Mm. a that is a um that's a widely observed effect of of um suboptimal diet and has been it's it's observable in the skeletal record if you look at um you know if you dig bodies up and it's also observable actually has been observable in real time in recent centuries like in the victorian period when people transitioned to um to industrially produced, largely grain-based diets. So, yep. I mean, I, I think, yes, there's there's an official story, which is that all of this stuff is going to make us healthier and it will be better for the planet and everyone will be happier, blah, blah, blah. But then actually when you examine the claims, that's when you, that's when you come to realise. And that's what I do. That's what I do in the book is I put all of these claims that they make to the test about the health benefits of, of the kind of diets that they want us to be eating. One of one of the pushbacks, of course, too, is sustainability. And yes. it, it's very interesting, that argument. In fact, I was listening to the radio here in Southern California yesterday, and the, the host was talking about a new study that seems to indicate that uh, raising cows even <laughs> and beef is more sustainable in the long run than, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of the plant-based uh, things that we're, we're doing. And, these studies go back and forth, as you know, but how do you talk about sustainability when you describe um, things like this? Yeah, well, sustainability is an interesting word because I think what it implies, I think, especially in this, in the current set of circumstances, is, uh, well, it doesn't go far enough, I think, because what we've done Mm. is we've depleted the globe's, the world's soils to such an extent that what right. we actually need to do is we need to restore them. So it's not about whether now at this at this late stage when you know the soils are in their last 10% or 15%, whether we can then manage them at that same level of, 50, mm. say, 15%. What we want is we want to build them back up again. We want to, yeah, right. you know, we want to nourish the earth again. We want to restore the topsoil. We want to increase biodiversity. So... I mean, I, I get behind a movement that's known as regenerative agriculture, which is championed by people like Joel Salatin, uh, who's been on Joe Rogan a few times, I think, and uh, other people like that who, I mean, what they're basically doing is they're doing farming in the old school way, you know, so no no artificial chemicals, nothing like that, um, using, using manure and... Um, relying primarily on uh livestock especially cows grazers right. to um replenish the soils and 
and and they do that and joel salatin he has a small farm uh in the u.s uh on the east coast i think and um it's a miracle what he manages to do with a very very small amount of land that's just managed incredibly carefully and with love um uh and it's and it flies in the face of everything that we are told about the unsustainability the um the the bad ethics of of rearing livestock i mean his his animals couldn't be happier the food couldn't be more delicious and, and more nourishing that he produces um and so so people like that really i mean they're they're the people we want to follow not not the people who say like the globalists that what we need is an intensification of industrial grain agriculture to feed the entire world you know a plant-based yep. diet because that is exactly what it entails is uh an you know to feed 10 billion people a grain-based diet we are going to have to intensify industrial agriculture mm. many many times over and that will involve using genetically modified forms of crops i mean i, I talk about this at length in the book about gmo and the, and the problems of gmo and the dangers of gmo and things like that and also the fact actually that that people don't seem to realize that actually i mean people people say this all the time oh we can just convert the land that we used for grazing into cropland right. well they don't i mean these people have obviously never heard of the concept of marginal land which is hmm. which basically means there is agricultural land that can only be used for grazing it's hmm. it's poor it's it's poor quality land that can only be used for grazing 60% of all agricultural land in the world is marginal land. Wow. Something like only 3% of all agricultural land is prime is prime crop growing land, 3%. Um unbelievable. So it's like why would why would you give up 60% of the world's agricultural land, you know, which which can produce the most nutritious um food imaginable you know these 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 right. a animal food beef liver lamb all these other things um all these other grazing animals why would you give that up it's madness when, when you look at it like that but but people aren't people aren't in possession of all of the facts very basic facts about the nature of farming and about the nature of agricultural land it's um but they're being sold but they're being sold this um this ridiculous plant-based model on the basis of uh, of a very very limited or, or minimal possession of the facts, which is something that I'm I'm trying to, in a small way, rectify as much as I can. Yeah, is that is that all it is? Because I, I I understand why globalists would push for this, even corporations mm. to some extent. Is it does it just come down to that the information is available, but these folks either for some reason don't have access to it or are so constrained in their bubble of knowledge and their friend group and what they allow to influence them that they um, they just aren't looking at the facts. I mean, we, we've been through two years of science says, right? Yeah. So we, we all know that people will buy into things that don't make any sense. Is it just that? Is it just they don't have the information and so they're making bad decisions? I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot of things. I think it's cognitive biases as well. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, and I mean it's it's yes i mean I, I, it's a mixture of both it's cognitive biases and a and a lack of information i mean people people think for instance that all forms of animal agriculture have to be 
all forms of livestock rearing essentially have to look like concentration camps. That's what they think, mm. you know, like you have yep. the only yep. way that you can raise livestock at, at scale is to create a concentration camp for cows mm-hmm. or pigs or, or chickens. Right. Um, and you don't. That's the thing. But people don't know that. So while on the one hand, the vegan and vegetarian critique of industrial livestock raising methods is perfectly valid and i am 100 percent behind it you know industrial right. agriculture is a right. monstrosity i, I yeah, cruelty to animals is mm, not what you're uh, no what you're pushing no, for right no not not i mean it's, it's ethically wrong yeah but also it produces inferior it, it produces inferior product as well correct yeah so it, it's it's not as good for you it doesn't taste as good and it's evil so mm. um but the thing is that <laughs> The, yeah, you know, so not, a couple, not a lot of pluses there. <laughs> no, no. But but the um, but the thing is that people don't realise that that isn't the only way to raise yeah. animals at scale. And so there's, yeah. I mean, there are there's a good book that I rely on in my book, The Eggs Benedict Option, called Sacred Cow by uh, I think it's Rob Wolf and Diana Rogers, and they talk about regenerative agriculture and uh, livestock raising, and they make the case for raising all cows in the u.s on pasture so you stop with mm. these um uh what are they called cafos concentrated agricultural feed operations i think they're called where right. you just keep all the animals in one place and shove them full of grain right. basically right so they right. they make this very compelling argument that you could get rid of that and all cows in the u.s could be pastured that's a lot of cows that's millions of cows mm. but the u.s is a big the u.s is a big place sure. um and you've got plenty of land to do it um so yeah i i mean i do think it's 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 ignorance cognitive biases and also mystification yes it's mystification by the people who stand the most to gain from mystifying ordinary people about the nature of agriculture so it's fascinating such a big topic um it's it's fascinating to talk to people because we're so invested in our Mm. uh, bias as you mentioned um, as it regards food and even the raising of food, um, when you talk about nationalism, I know this is a bit of <laughs> a bit of a jump, but yeah. when you talk about nationalism, um, how do you define define that? You 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 go by the moniker of uh, raw egg nationalist. W- mm. What's a nationalist in your view? Uh, a nationalist is is somebody who, I mean, let's say a politician is a politician who puts the needs and interests of his own people his own nation first really yeah as exemplified uh, for all his faults by somebody like donald trump who i mean brought about a total total u-turn in in american yeah. policy for, yeah. four, for four years and right had to be destroyed because he did that and was right. at least partially destroyed for doing that um so that i mean it's, it's really it's it's a common sense idea of what nationalism is it's to protect the interests of your own immediate local communities all the way up to the level of the nation first um but that doesn't necessarily mean that you uh you know a total kind of head in the sand isolationism i think it just means a it's a reorientation of of um a reorientation and i think if i think if more nations were nationalists in their orientation then actually international relations would probably be better because these globalists right. have all sorts of um really quite pernicious aims that right. are 
you know, I mean, you only need to look at what's going on in Ukraine at the moment. I mean, if yep. that wouldn't have happened under Donald Trump, I don't think. He he was reigning in NATO. Um, yep. So, yeah, so that's 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 the kind of idea of nationalism that I have, is just that it's a reorientation away from benefiting the interests of a global elite and a global class of, of mega-rich people who, who couldn't give a damn about ordinary people. That, that phrase or that term... Uh, nationalism or to be a nationalist has such a negative connotation yes. in the United States. And and uh, I've used it in the past to describe myself, and, and I just stopped because mm. you have to spend 45 minutes explaining what yeah. you mean by that. But you're exactly right. There's nothing negative about that. It's about saying, this is where I live. This is mm. the community that I participate in, and I want what's best for this community. And uh, it's crazy how that that term has been hijacked and and you know, maligned, uh, again, I think by the globalists, uh, because they want us to stay away from it. Um, I, I know we don't have a lot of time left. Let's talk about your books, or if you wouldn't mind, um, you know, why you started writing and what people can expect when they come to your books. And then I know you have a new one uh, just yeah. just recently uh, published. Yep. Well, I, I mean, I'm from, a, I'm from a literary background, so it wasn't a, a big departure for me. I've written um, under my own name, uh, uh, although it does seem like a lifetime ago now. Hmm. Um, uh, but what can people expect from my books? Well, I started with a, a cookbook, which is also a political manifesto. So don't just expect yeah. recipes. Expect, um, <laughs> you know, expect some, uh, expect some uh, sort of uh, politics and philosophy. And, uh, and uh, when in the cookbook, I outline what raw egg nationalism is. And I talk about, you know, the sort of history of, of um, food and social control and that kind of thing. That was my first book. Then I wrote a book about um, called Three Lives of Golden Age Bodybuilders, which is about three classic bodybuilders from the 1960s. And the sort of um, it's like a series of biographies, but also lessons that we can learn from the way that they did bodybuilding as opposed to the way that people do bodybuilding now, which is kind of like a, a gross parody of the original ideals of bodybuilding, which were to have a beautiful aesthetic body that would sort of be part of a beautiful life you know rather than just being as incredibly massive as you can be right right chugging protein shakes all day right um (laughs) i wrote a book about vince deronda um which was a bit of a kind of a jokey book um called draw me a deronda which was um uh also a, a guide about how to draw pictures of vince deronda um mm. uh and then uh since then uh i started a magazine called man's world which is like a sort of um attempt to to revive the glory days of playboy when playboy was actually worth reading that's mm. another thing and then we've got the the new book which is the eggs benedict option which has just been just been released it's about a week old now it's um on Amazon now, Barnes and Noble book depository, and also can be bought directly from the publisher. But that's my that's my longest book. It's my biggest book. It's um, all about the Great Reset, what they want to do yeah. to food, uh, the effects that it's likely to have if if the if the globalists end up winning and making us eat the kind of food that they want us to eat. <laughs> but then, of course, so it's not just uh, it's not just a descriptive book. It's also um, it's also like a, it also has a, a solution to the problem, my solution to the that's problem, good. which is the yeah. eggs Benedict option. So it's, it's that's a play on the Benedict option by Rod Dreher, which is um, which is a book about how Christians can um, 
survive in an America that is increasingly hostile to, to Christian life. And this book, similarly, is about how we can resist the globalists and uh, bring in a new sort of golden age of health and, and, uh, and fitness. So I look at things like uh, small-scale farming in Russia, Russian household farming, it's called, where ordinary Russian people produce a very, very significant proportion of the food that they eat. So something like 50%, 50-plus percent of all food consumed by value in Russia is produced by people in their own gardens, wow. which is wow. amazing. And I, 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 yeah. go into, I go into great detail about this. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a big topic, and it's something that people, people haven't really been turned on to. I mean, people in the sort of small-scale farming and the farming world kind of know about it, but it's not something that's been um, discussed much in a kind of uh, popular way. Are you generally, um, last question. Yeah, <laughs> I no, promise. Great. I keep asking no, I don't, no, I don't mind. Ask away. Are you generally optimistic about um, kind of the future, not just of, you know, farming and, and, mm. and food, but um, as you connect that to the Great Reset and what it mm. means to, you know, kind of function in the interests of your community yeah. and country, are you generally optimistic or is it kind of a, a wait and see? Uh, I, I think I think in some sense uh, you have to be. I, mean, I, th- I think that to be fully human really is to hope. Uh, so mm. I, I think that we, mm. we do have to maintain our optimism. And there are reasons for us to maintain our optimism. Although, although Donald Trump's presidency was a failure in many ways and he was, um, you know, and he has all sorts of faults as a, sure. as a, as a person and as a leader, um, he really, really scared the globalists. I mean, he terrified them. That's why. Right. That's why right. they tried to prevent him once he was elected from taking mm. up office. You know, the the, the right. lies started before he got into office, and the lies and 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 sabotage continued throughout his four years and are continuing now because he may run again as well. He, I'm sure he will run again as pre, uh, yeah. for, for the presidency. Yeah. They are scared. They are really scared of a leader like Donald Trump who will reorient America, who will, you know. And, and, I, and, I, and I do think that actually it's, it would probably be a death blow to the globalists or something like a death mm. blow for Donald Trump to be reelected again and for America first to, to really take hold in America. Right. You know, I, I think right. that America actually is the key to all of this. I think uh, America's future will decide the future of the rest of the world to be honest with you. Wow. And so, yes, I, I am optimistic, but there is also the chance that, you know, that they'll win. But um, the, all that's just to say that nothing's certain, which is also sure. in its own way a cause for uh, optimism. Oh, that's good. I, I appreciate what you're doing in, in light of that, because I think you're right. Information is the key and mm. people being willing to set their own bias aside to consider the actual available information and we have so much information available to yeah. us um that if people will really investigate and really figure out what's going on mm-hmm. they'll make good decisions I, I i'm optimistic because i think the last two years have been so difficult that people have really started to look around and go mm-hmm. maybe i need to figure this out for myself and yeah. I, I think that's a very good place to be um where can people find your books and follow you and and really follow your writing and, and yep. your thought well, my uh, my Twitter handle is baby gravy nine. Don't don't ask. It's very silly. Um, so that's my Twitter handle. Um, uh, I have a page of links which, which can be accessed from my Twitter account, or it's you can just go to lnk.bio. 
slash raw egg nationalist and that has links to all of my books to my amazon author page uh, the magazine all that kind of stuff so if you go to my twitter account you'll find a you'll find a um you, you'll find the way to get to everything else basically but awesome. but my books my books are all on amazon um uh so you can go there too and just search raw egg nationalist uh i've got an instagram account as well which is not particularly serious but um yeah, go, go to the Twitter account if you want to uh, find out what I'm about. Fantastic. Appreciate it. Um, man, so much great stuff here. Maybe we can uh, talk again. I need to pick up some of your books and, and learn about raw eggs and nationalism. <laughs> <laughs> How those two uh, inter- intersect. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. It was my, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. What a great conversation, fascinating conversation. This is something that I don't think most of us spend a lot of time thinking about. We have opinions, as we discussed during the interview, but we really need to think about these issues, these topics, beyond just how we feel about them. Uh, Whether or not you eat animal protein, whether or not you fall into a vegetarian or vegan camp, uh, all of these decisions, these choices, uh, have implications well beyond our own lives, and we need to understand that. Appreciate the work of Raw Egg Nationalist in uh, bringing this to us. We need the information so that we can make the right decisions, and that's what this show is all about and uh, certainly his work. Please go and follow him. Thank you for listening. If you are not yet subscribed to this podcast, you need to subscribe. Do it right now. Go ahead and subscribe. And then take some time, go over to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube. Look for The Situation Report. You'll find our uh, channel there. This episode, so many incredible episodes. Um, Not every episode, because it turns out YouTube doesn't like all our episodes, but most of them are there. And uh, the great thing about YouTube is it's very easy to watch, of course, but you can share that content out, leave us a comment, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.